Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the New Books Network. Mike. So welcome to 15 Minute Film Fanatics. You probably know this already, but the premise of the podcast is that Mike and I pick movies, we suggest them to the other guy, we watch them separately, and then we talk about them for the first time on the air. And it's amazing sometimes that we've never talked about these movies, because these are movies we've seen a bunch of times. What movie are we doing today, Mike? Miyazaki's Spirited Away. From 2001, we're finally doing Spirited Away, which just had a run in AMC, so I got to see it in the theaters for the first time, even though I had seen it at home. So in part one, we usually talk about our overall take on the film. And so, Mike, I want to start part one by like posing a question to you about something that I, I, I don't know if I don't understand this about the movie, but it's something I want to talk about. And here it is. Hit me. You take movies that we love that exist in like sci-fi or fantasy realms, right? So when you watch a movie like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings, you get introduced into a world. And as you go on, you kind of learn the rules of that world. Right. And so, you, you know, you learn there's a ring and it was cast for this reason and it makes you invisible, but it also destroys what's good about you. And, and you learn like um, the dwarves are tough fighters and the elves, how you all have all the knowledge and things like that. The orcs are horrible. Sauron's coming back. And after about an hour or so, you get how the thing works. And then the suspense is, is created because you understand the world. Like you, you've entered into it. And it happens when you watch, you know, Star Wars or, or Dune or The Matrix. Like you get into this thing. And eventually you learn the rules. Here, though, what's strange about this movie is that you get immersed into this other world where there are like, at least to me, the isolated scenes kind of make sense. But it seems like the whole world itself, the whole world of the bathhouse of what happens after dark is still kind of a mystery. Like it seems like there's no guidebook to this world, right? There's this bathhouse that comes out at night and spirits go there to rejuvenate themselves. And individual moments make sense to me. Like, you know, if you pollute a river, 
it's going to get filled with a lot of junk and it's going to stink until you clean it up. Right. Or, um, mothers will sometimes suffocate their own babies with love and say, you know, you can't go out of there. There's germs outside of that. It reminded me of the song mother from Pink Floyd, the wall. Um, but then I'm like, well, what did the golden seal do? Like, and why does the guy with the furnace have six arms? And what are those three bouncing heads and those paper birds that attack Haku? Like, it seems to me like parts of it are disjointed. And I don't know if that's because that's what it's like to be a kid. But you know what I mean? Like the fabric of the world is different than like when you watch, when you think about Middle Earth or things like that. And that's my question. What do you make of that? I think that this movie... And it's not the it's not the only movie that's like this. I think the movie that it's nearest that we've done would be The Lighthouse in that it moves in an intuitive structure rather than a logical structure. This movie's very right brain. And I think I think where a viewer wants to get comfortable, right, that the, the sense that you're talking about when you watch The Lord of the Rings and you're learning about The Lord of the Rings so that you can settle in and you can be a part of Middle Earth, the movie doesn't want you to get that comfortable and so they continually move the goalposts like if you ever if you ever read the comic strip Calvin and Hobbes this is Calvin ball which is you just make it up whenever you have the ball and that's the that's how the game is played and i think i think on the one hand you're right that if you if you said okay what what's the benefit of that what's the utility of that why would i make a movie like that a yes i think because children because we're always continually figuring it out leaving the viewer in that state is a way to revert adults back into children so they can have you know what we've called here the spielbergian moment which is that right innocence can never be recaptured but it can be participated in and one of the ways that you participate in it is you put me in a situation in which i'm forced to act like a child because when i act like a child i think and i speak like a child i think the other reason is because Miyazaki is not the greatest plotter, but he's a brilliant artist. And so this this movie is much more about its impressions and beats. And it's 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 in a in the same way that jazz is about its own composition, the movie is really about its own composition rather than the other left brain structures that want you to figure out what's actually going on. It's about itself. It made me think about about another famous film about childhood, which is we have not done on the show, which is the wizard of Oz. So when the wizard of Oz, when Dorothy goes to Oz, you get the most clear guidebook and skeleton key to that movie, right? Um, There's no place like home. Friendship is important. The thing you think you're lacking, you already have. Um, It's okay. It's a, you know, you want to go somewhere over the rainbow, but then you'd rather just click your slippers together. This is not like that. No, this, this has of course a key difference from the wizard of Oz right? This, this has a classic Wizard of Oz fake out, which is she runs back to her parents, right? And her parents say, okay, we've been asleep for 30 seconds. Uh, let's go see the movers. But the car has been abandoned for a few days. There's leaves right. in the car. And so I think what, what, the movie's, what the movie's saying is that there's something inexpressible about the period during which you gain confidence and you go from being somebody who is acted upon to an actor in the world that's not without consequences but it's not something that's articulable outside of the space in which it happens there's no way to talk about the bathhouse except to be in the bathhouse and again when you're when you're in the bathhouse you pick up on its intuitive 
right. structures, right. but it doesn't necessarily carry over. That's why you can't look back. Something definitely happened and the consequences were real, but they can't be talked about in a meaningful way. They can only be experienced. Right. When you're in the, when you're in the bathhouse, you learn things like, oh, these little puffy soot guys are the ones that bring the coal. And like, and this, and if you have these little, these little um, scent packets, you can have one of them and the order comes down and they got like, there's an internal logic to it, but the algebra isn't as clean as Wizard of Oz. And I think that's why this movie is more like, more like what it's like to be a kid. When you watch the Wizard of Oz as an adult, you, 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 there's no like mystery to it. Um, You understand it perfectly as a metaphor for growing up. When you watch this as a adult you kind of your unease is the movie said yes that's what it's like to be a kid there's rules everywhere but you can't really figure them out this is not a it's not a children's movie you know like this is not a movie you put finding nemo has a lot of funny things about it for 10 year olds and the people who are watching the movie right. with them but you can get up and go to another room and do something and feel safe not so with this movie do not put this movie on for a 10 year old and leave the room and probably they should be older before they see it. So welcome back. In part two, we always talk about our favorite moments. But before we do, Mike, before I get your moment, something you said before about participating in childhood, you know that, of course, this movie was not plotted out beforehand. He he drew himself into it. And I wonder how you think that contributes to the feel of the movie. Somebody always brings that up whenever you could be having a separate conversation about this movie somebody's walking past and they hear you and they'll lean into your Did conversation you know? and say that and what what it reminds me of is i don't want to make too precious a connection between say this and and jazz or any other kinds of things that are created extempore but the notes around the creation of miyazaki movies are always like a coltrane sessions and you can you can find people who appreciate it without knowing that right. extra information but you can always find somebody who knows everything about how every scene was drawn because when when something is only detail oriented the details are all that exist there there's so much there's almost too much minutia to be swallowed and there's people that find that kind of thing endlessly fascinating so it reminds me you know when you hear a Coltrane recording somebody will say well you know he recorded that right after lunch at this place in Jersey right. City and my uncle's best friend's sister dated the guy uh who was playing the drums you're like okay right exactly like i i love i you know i love um i love supreme but there are many people who would tell me you don't know why you love it you don't love it for the right reasons and here's what you need to understand to love it and i might say i, I just think it's cool and i think much like this movie you know there's there's an entire politics and philosophy behind the love supreme that you don't have to know in order to enjoy the music i mean there. There's innumerable articles about how this is really about the capitalization of Japan in the 90s. Um, and I don't know any of that and I don't care, but I like this movie. <laughs> Me too. So what's your moment? Well, um, my moment is is one of those extempore scenes that are really about itself. Um, when Sen is in the elevator with the radish spirit um, and she's slowly being squeezed by his girth and she kind of has to squeeze around him in order to pull the lever to go to the right floor and then they have to change elevators so they get out of the elevator to get back into the elevator and there's no reason for that scene to exist except that Miyazaki likes to draw the radish spirit it's really about them being in the elevator the things that they see there's no explanation it doesn't further the plot Right. There's there's so many beautiful details that are in this movie, but they do nothing for the plot. They ex they explain how the tokens work. That's how you get the the hot water. 
that's got the the herbs or the salt in it. Um, and then that never comes up again, right? Which is, of course, when they teach you in screenwriting that that's got to right. be that's got to be the key to the last scene is there's something about a token. That's why I'm giving you this information. There, there is no ulterior motive behind visuals or information. It is purity itself. And there's nothing more pure than the experience of going up in an elevator, getting out on a floor, seeing people walk past. It's the wrong floor. You continue to ascend. That's just, it's a quiet, it's a quiet moment of life, but you don't expect to see it rendered in a two hour animated film. Right. Because this movie does not have Chekhov's gun. No, Chekhov has left the building. Chekhov has left the building. And our, to our listeners who might not know that story, of course, Chekhov famously said, if you have a gun on the wall in act one, that gun had better go off in act three. So my moment is when I want to talk about a character and a, and a specific moment. It's about no face. I don't want to talk about the no face spirit. So it occurred to me that when they're getting the, I love the scenes where they're getting the bathhouse ready for opening. It reminded me of like, if you ever watch behind the scenes at Disney or something like all this work. So Disney shuts down and then during the night they have to replace all the flowers and clean everything up so that the next morning at 10 o'clock when people walk in, it's all magical all over again. So no face kept, it kept nagging me and he kept hanging around the back of my brain. Cause I kept thinking like, what's he doing there? What's going on? Now, remember he can only, he can only grunt. He, uh, 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 he can't speak. So I want to think about what happens when he becomes fat and gluttonous. Remember in the beginning of the, of the movie, there's a bunch of spirits like no face that kind of like swirl around the bathhouse. So, but she lets him in. So I said to myself, okay, you know, what is this like? And I thought to myself, well, no face is kind of like the perfect outsider, right? He's, he, he's a nobody. He has no face. He just wears a mask. He's not supposed to be in there, right? Because if you're Disney does not let buzzkills into the Magic Kingdom, and that's kind of who No Face is. She lets him in out of empathy. He's another outsider like her. And then when he gets there, he does something that struck me when I thought about it as so human. He buys all his friends. So he he's the nerdy rich guy that will pick up the tab at the diner and 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 do all these things. It's like, yeah, don't worry about it. I got it. And of course, the bathhouse frogs are, are very easy to please, eager to please him, right? But they can only please him in the way they know how which is feeding him and he likes the attention and as a result he gets fat and he gets bad and sen has to correct him by making him throw up and it struck me as like that's a real human dynamic but it's done in such a beautiful mysterious way yeah i like when you find out where his mouth actually is yeah yeah because you think it's part of the mask and then when he starts talking it's so strange and he starts eating people so i think that this movie like like we said before has has moments and characters in it where they kind of show us, yes, there's a, there's an equivalent to this in the real world, but the fact that it doesn't all hang together perfectly and algebraically is kind of what makes it like life for a kid. And I think, you know, I don't want to make, there's no clear parallels. I don't think this is meant to be, this is what this is like in real life. Correct. But but there there is a thing where, they explain addiction perfectly or they explain alcoholism perfectly, which is she says, no, 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 he's normal again. I think being in the bathhouse makes him insane. Yeah. And so there's, there's just a certain environment during which he can't function. You say that that's not really him or wh whatever it is you saw him do. Uh, it's, it's been, it's been purged and now he's, he's back to his old self again, but then he can't come back and return because he's, he's probably fine. Never going there again. Yeah, and he and he ends up not there. At the end of the movie, he's not there either, right? It reminds me about, like you said, about like moments or, or when when things in the real world, you know, um, Yubaba, when you work there, she takes your name, 
So you think like, well, what is that like? Well, like, you know, that's what your boss does. <laughs> your boss kind of takes part of you and says, no, you're not, you're not Mike, you're not Dan, you're this kind of employee, or you have a different kind of name to me. And I just think that's something that, like you said before, like a 10 year old wouldn't get that. But if you have a job and a boss and you watch those scenes, you're like, yep, uh-huh, yep. And you do it long enough, you forget. Welcome back. So in part three, we always talk about the title or the ending or the key takeaways. Dan, what do you make of it? So people love the, uh, was it all a dream kind of thing? And people talk about the unicorn and Blade Runner or the top and Inception and things as a kind of like, Ooh, it's like, like, you know, the two worlds are meld, meld merging. And, you know, there's a famous moment like that in a movie that many people have seen, which is of course, it's a wonderful life. At the very end, he sees the Tom Sawyer book and, and she says, every time the bell rings, an angel gets his wings. And Jimmy Stewart says, that's right. And so the, the fantasy world of Bedford Falls without George Bailey merges with the real Bedford Falls. And there's kind of like this shimmering moment where the two worlds kind of collide. That goes on at the end, of course, with her hair ribbon, because the hair ribbon is the thing that links him to the two worlds. And I think that's really interesting because, again, that that's what it's like to be a kid is you get glimpses of like what reality could be like and what your imagination is like. And I think the cool thing about the movie is it, you could see you could imagine imagined by a child. And that's what's so cool about it is that when you watch that screen, when you sit there in the movies and watch Spirited Away, you're watching adults having something from childhood that that only kids could imagine these things and not have to have a perfectly linear plot like a kid could imagine the radish spirit in the elevator and then they don't they don't have to go to screenwriting class they're like well then what happens uh, uh then um then the the boy turns into a dragon well why does the boy turn into a dragon um he was the the river spirit and he saved her once and they like that's how kids can make up stories and make up plots adults think differently. And I think that's what this movie does so well. So it's kind of like the movie itself is like her hair ribbon. It's like a shimmering thing between the world of adulthood and the world of childhood. It's a very interesting experiment to find out what actually is required for a movie to be good. Because I think my list of requirements or what I write would write down in a list, having been to screenwriting class or something, is very different than what you discover in Spirited Away. Whether accidentally or on purpose, what makes this movie really good is it it takes its audience's ability to follow it for granted. It does not have a complicated plot point that has to be communicated down to its audience. And so they always get full credit, which, as we've said, can be a little bit jarring when you watch this movie, but is also in a way it, it's a compliment or it's a, it's a point of confidence, right? But when she leaves the world a little bit more confident, able to, to face it, you say, well, I, I made it all the way through that movie. So, you know, I must not be, I must not be nobody. So it, it's, it's, it's got all the elements that you need to make a movie. They were, are difficult to enumerate, but they're not yeah. what you, they're not what you think they are. They're definitely not a three act structure is what I'm trying to say. If you, if you think that that's what's necessary now, you could probably segment the movie into a three-act structure, but it doesn't really have one in the same way. There's something, not to get too cute about it, but there's something organic about this movie. Yeah. Uh, and it and it feels that way too. There's, there's something about, the, like this movie almost smells. That's how good the animation is. 
Yeah, it feels it, like again, like I keep I, I keep going back to this, but it feels like it was designed and written by kids. And if you read a story that a ten year old, a very intelligent ten year old, would write a creative writing assignment, like it's not going to be it's not going to be the Silmarillion. It's not going to be this perfectly laid out thing with all these rules in it and stuff. They kind of just like make up stuff as they go along, and which this movie was made up as it as it goes along. And then what happens at the end? Uh, she finds her parents again, and it's over. And that's it. Like that's it, it, it. And there's a there's something so satisfying about that to go into a movie and have it work with that logic as opposed to the logic we see in 99% of the other movies. So thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed our conversation about Spirited Away. Remember, don't eat too much. You'll turn into a pig. You could follow us on Twitter or X now at 15MINFILM. You could also follow us where, Mike? Letterboxd. Letterboxd. Follow us on Letterboxd and let us know what we should watch next. See you next time. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.